welcome to the seventh episode of Talking Total Talent. And for those new to the series, Talking Total Talent is a series where we explore all the intricacies and nuances of uh, achieving a total talent acquisition strategy. By that, we mean everything from plan, temp, contingent gig, internal mobility, basically all done in-house. Um, for this episode, uh, we've got Zishuan Lim. He's the uh, advisory director at Temper School Consulting, previously led um, TA operations at large enterprises here in Australia. Um, so we'll be ducking into and weaving around all things operational TA today. Okay, let's get stuck in. Welcome to another episode of Talking Total Talent with me, your host, Ben Satchwell. And this week, I am really, really pleased to welcome Zishuan Lim. Hi, Z. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great, thanks. Survived the heat of the weekend, which was good. So now it's back to a bit of normality um, here in Sydney. Awesome. All right. So as ever, we'll get straight into it. Z, why don't you tell us a bit about your background as a starting point? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so I've been in talent acquisition since 2005, I think it is. So when I think about it, it's it's a long time. Um, I started an agency, was there for about five years, and then I went into corporate, was there nine and a half years or so. Um, I've been in-house, set up or recruited, you know, whole divisions, that kind of stuff, then moved into more kind of like the system maintenance and analytics, which didn't have a name when I first moved into that space, but I think they now call it, you know, something like TA operations. Um, and in the last year, I've been kind of splitting my time between uh, my consulting business in the HR and TA tech space, as well as uh, running a full-time martial arts school, uh, Taekwondo school, which has been quite an interesting, interesting year, given it to shut down six weeks after I opened. Um, so it's fun, it's been fun. <laughs> Timing is everything in life, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, awesome. Um, just to continue the scene setting a bit, when we think about your roles in the TA operations side, so could, could you sort of unpack that a little further for us so we can understand sort of what, what was in there in, in your experience there? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, had, I remember last year one of my teammates asked me, what do you actually do, Z? Um, you know, you said you've got so many KPIs to meet. Um, I think I had like 30 at the time which is insane. Uh, but if you think about TAA ops, you know, it kind of depends if from company to company. For me, um, myself and my team, it's basically keeping everything running is the baseline. So you've got all the tech, you've got your ATS, you've got all of your different agency agreements, your PSAs, you've got all like the um, video interviewing platforms, site testing platforms, background check platforms. So tell you opposite at the baseline is just making sure all of that is turned on and making sure that it stays on, um, you know, because if, if it's not, then people, you know, the team can't do anything basically. Uh, and then after that, you get into some of the more interesting stuff, which is um, looking at the upgrades, you know, ATS is always launching new features, functionality. You have to make sure that that's all tested, that's all properly understood before it gets rolled out. Um, uh, we had a lot to do with procurement, so um, looking at all the new contracts or um, existing contracts, renewals, that kind of stuff, and um, helping decision support for the head of TA as well. So that's even things into you know the team budgets, um, advertising spend, 
um, you know, all of that kind of uh, decision support stuff. Should we invest in this technology and other technology? Should we change the process, you know, one way or another? Um, we've got a new project coming up, a new site or something like that. They want some special process or testing requirement. Um, how do we make sure that we, you know, create a solution um, and, and find a vendor or implement something or build something ourselves that's going to help meet, you know, whatever that, that individual requirement needs. So it, it was pretty full on. Um, and, you know, every day was a surprise, not always a good surprise, but it was a surprise nonetheless. <laughs> Um, and I used to tell people who joined my team, it's like, you know, we don't just have one or two projects going at the same time. We're like, we have probably a whole stove of stuff, you know, five or six different pots on the boil, but all the pots boil very slowly. So you basically have to, you know, keep going around, stirring all the, all the sauces um, a little bit, just so it doesn't burn and you just have to keep things moving. Um, because everything, you know, in, in corporate, as you would know, Ben, the sales cycle is 18 months, right? So the stuff I'm looking at um, isn't something the team is going to see for another year and a half, at least, most of the time. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to stir um, and keep ticking along. Um, otherwise, you know, the team is going to fall behind, basically. Awesome. And uh, in line with the Stove analogy. I'm looking forward to hearing your secret sources as we go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a father of two. I have to make that joke. <laughs> no, tomato also, sauce. That's you yeah. want to make everything. So it makes everything work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, the source being the implementation, right? And <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so. Uh, I, I've just got one question related to that, actually. What size do you think the organization needs to be to put a sort of TA operations person in place? Is, is it the FTE size, number of hires per annum size? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one because a lot of what I was doing in, in a lot of smaller companies, um, it would have been what the head of TA does, yeah. right? So often the head of TA does, you know, a lot of this, this type of work. I think it gets it. Yeah, I haven't thought too much about how many, you know, what size it is. It's probably to do a little bit of um, more, more how much or how hands-on the TA head of TA needs to be or wants to be, in in, in a sense. Um, and it depends a little bit too, you know, how strategic their level is. So some heads of TA, you know, they don't recruit at all. Uh, and they, you know, probably fight the good fight, you know, within the organization more than anything else, right? Um, there are other heads of TA who are still very hands-on recruiting day-to-day -day tasks. Um, so, you know, how big do you need to be to have a, a TA ops person? Um, depends probably a little bit on the complexity of your setup. If you've got a lot of tech, you've got a lot to maintain, you've got a lot of reports that need not necessarily doing necessarily, but probably analyzing at a first glance, you know, you need someone to help just do that first couple of cuts for you um, or help, you know, you need someone to help put together the business case, you know, um, or, or presentation, do that kind of like SLT presentation prep. Um, 
yeah, it kind of depends on, on your own role, how busy it is. I don't think it's to do with the size necessarily. Okay. It's kind of more the demands that are placed on you as the head of TA and how far you, you want to stretch yourself to do everything. Um, it's probably more a function of that than a function of the, the, the FTEs. Okay, makes complete sense. All right, that's that's great for scene setting. So let's um, let's get stuck into total talent acquisition. So um, on a really high level, um, what's your view on how important total total talent acquisition is or is becoming? And for the benefit of um, the audience, when I say total talent acquisition, what I mean is every category from perm, temp, gig, contingent, um, internal mobility, the, the whole shebang, basically. Yeah, so I think one of the reasons why I got into TA in the first place is because I had the idea that, you know, I had the idea of total talent being total talent. I didn't really realize when I finished uni that there are different classes of talent and they're all treated differently. Um, and I think one of the things that you know, coming agency, you've got temp and perm, and then there's always temp to perm as well, which is a very, you know, common way of filling roles. So to me, that kind of said, okay, cool. Your, your temp talent, your contract talent, and your perm talent, in theory, could all be the same. Um, because, you know, they start as a temp, then they get converted, and then, you know, they go on their path. Um, once I got into corporate, it was a little bit different and I guess it was because I changed industry um, as well. I was accounting and finance recruiter in agency world and then being where I was over at Optus, it's very much a tech business. Um, and I noticed that the, the, IT, um, the IT world is very, you know, contracted driven in a sense and it's not necessarily thought of as a you know, I don't work as, an, as a project manager at Optus for a long time, for example. Well, I don't aim to sometimes. I go in for a project um, and then all of a sudden I find that I'm there for a number of years, which then creates some you know, other challenges as well. So I think that the, um, from my point of view, it's always been very important. I think what has happened in large corporates is they have kind of artificially created these barriers almost or these divisions um, and it hasn't really been looked at traditionally from a you know talent point of view or person point of view it's really more to do with a process how is the person come into the organization or how is the person being paid or who is my um, for co commercial arrangement with uh, and those types of things um, have turned it to govern, you know, how somebody is treated as opposed to, you know, this person is a, a, a holder of a skill set that we want to engage with the company long term. Um, so from my point of view, that's, you know, it's been a bit of an artificial um, barrier, you know, across those different classes of talent, if you, if you want to call it that. No, no, I follow. And you run your own advisory practice now for, for TA. Um, when you go in, I'm assuming you go in at different stages, but um, if you go in really early and they're thinking about making a change, how do you help them think through um, sort of benchmarking their current state uh, compared to their peers? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the, the conversation these days about talent has, has evolved um, quite rapidly in the last probably couple of years. It started before COVID and then I think COVID, like many other things, um, or, you know, like COVID's effect on many other things has been speeding up um, the, the process. In terms of, you know, comparing yourselves to other peers, I, I tend not to look at other peers too much initially. I think the, the idea is to kind of look at yourself first. Um, and maybe this is a bit of the martial arts thing coming in. Um, but you got to like analyze yourself. Where, you know, where are your talent pockets? How long have your contractors been in here for? Um, is procurement, for example, if they own contractors, are they ready to have the discussion about what are the risks um, of having long-term contractors? Are they now aware um, that it could cause significant pain for the organization and managers are personally liable, you know, um, for, for keeping people on and, and uh, what is it called, dual employment risks and that kind of thing. So for me, when I go in, it's more about the client understanding those types of issues first, rather than saying, oh, your competitor in this space has, you know, a um, whiz-bang kind of solution um, and, and you should do that as well. Okay, and with, so once they've set the scene though, let's say you're in there and um, they sort of know the lay of the land, um, especially in your TA operations role, there's so much you can change, there's so much you can do today. So from a strategy perspective, right through people process to there's so many technologies available as, as we've discussed before. Mm. Um, where do you help them think through where to make a change? So sort of the benefits of action or inaction? So for me, I probably don't take a very common approach. Um, I think a lot of a lot of implementation is is guided by what the low hanging fruit is. What are the quick wins? You know how you can um, kind of show off that you've you've made some impact. Um, for me, it, it really comes down to long term. How does it all fit together properly? Uh, because, you know, what I've found from my experience is uh, you can have, you know, the nicest and most well thought out, thought out solution, but at the end of the day, if the team or the managers kind of don't use it, then it's kind of gone to waste. Um, so, you know, how, how do I advise clients to look at it all? It's, it's kind of like, you know, how does it all fit together? Um, and practically, how is it all going to work? Because if it doesn't work practically, then unfortunately, no one's going to take it up. That's it. And I think that with total talent acquisition, that's sort of key as well. So sort of marrying it all together in a seamless way. Um, I want to leave the witness, but what would you say are the, the top three challenges um, that you've observed in delivering total talent acquisition? I think the... The first one, I hate to say it, um, given who you work for, but the first one is the, the tech itself. Um, you know, as you and I know, we've had these discussions many times in the past. Um, the, the tech out there is very specific. Um, and, you know, each piece of tech is very good at their part of the solution. Um, 
and it makes sense. You know, you can't really, we've seen it with the really big players, Success Factors, Workday, those guys, you know, they wanted to do everything, but you can't do everything well. It's like multitasking, right? You can't multitask. You know, that's, that's coming out um, as pretty much scientific fact, which is great for me because I can't multitask. Um, so, um, yeah, all the tech is very good at specific things, but, you know, how well do they talk to each other is really one of the critical bits um, that, uh, that is still quite hard to iron out and it takes a lot of effort um, and, a, and a lot of time. So that's probably the first thing, how well the tech talks to each other. Um, it's in a practical sense. The second one that um, I think is super important is the quality of the information that you get. So when we talk about to total talent, you know, we, especially internal moves, I've got this, you know, holy grail is to, tr tr two holy grails. One is to find out how to hire people um, based on potential. And the second one is, um, you know, identifying what is actually a good performer. So when I was, you know, I've been involved in building some AI models, um, you know, for the processes at Optus and that type of thing. And when we look at what are, what are, the, what are the things that we want to measure that tell me that Ben is a better performer than Z, for example. Um, and you, some roles are lucky enough that they've got some targets, you know, sales targets, that kind of thing. But other roles, and even even in that scenario where you have sales targets and that kind of stuff, are they actually things that identify someone as a great performer or not? Right? Um, people often have to default to the company kind of performance rating. Um, but you know, talk to anyone in any large corporate, and they'll tell you that the whole you know performance rating kind of process is you know filled with um, interesting um, challenges in itself. And um, you have other situations with contractors, temps, casuals, or maybe casuals, um, but contingent workers, you know, gig workers. They don't necessarily get ratings. So then, how do you compare those people? Uh, so for me, the second thing in total talent space is measuring good. You know, what is, what actually is good? Um, and it's actually a much harder question once you start thinking about it and thinking about, you know, how do you result in, you know, in, in that PDR rating, as we call it, adopt this. Um, what's that process? How does someone get extremely high achiever versus average achiever? Um, so for me, that's the second one uh the third one uh i think those two are enough probably right. to, to, to tap um the third one is probably to do with um you know breaking down those barriers how do, how do you break down the barriers i had discussions with procurement probably seven years ago about talent acquisition taking over the um sow contractors right um, at the time, procurement didn't want to have a bar of it because, you know, it was their process. You know, they were quite happy with it. Um, and and in, in honesty, the TA process couldn't handle that speed that was required, right? And then all of a sudden during last year, they wanted to dump it on us. 
uh, because because of all of the lawsuits that were coming out in the media, not not in, in Optus itself, but in the media and, and all the risks and stuff. So, you know, what are the processes like and, and how do you facilitate them? Those are probably the three big things. Yeah, awesome. Um, link to that and to a previous comment you made, um, which I agree with, you know, 18 months sometimes in reviewing a change in total talent tech, whichever type of tech that is. Um, you know, I, I, we both have conversations every day with HR and TA leaders from, from various industries. Um, they have a number of priorities and a number of challenges that they're tackling at any one time, as well as BAU, right? So still got to get the bums on seats in the right people and all that sort of thing. How do you identify when a problem goes from being one of the many problems to an untenable one where a change is needed? Is there a specific um, way that you identify that? And, I, and I'll give you context where my mind's at. Um, for it to become untenable, it normally, uh, the IC is the team aren't happy with what's happening and it's actually impacting business results as well. That's normally where it becomes the untenable stage. But I just wondered if you had any comments on that. Yeah, I think um, it, from my experience, from, from what I've seen watching a few of the different TA managers or TA heads of TA uh, that I've worked for, uh, I think I've been probably quite lucky that most of them have been quite visionary in that sense. Uh, so, you know, there are always things that, that the team aren't happy about. You know, they're, they're often not happy about one of the fields on the form for example, right? Um, and sure, you could you could change that and it might make things better or it, you could change it and, and they'll find something else to complain about. Um, I've, so I think, you know, the heads of TA that I've worked with, they've kind of looked forward to say, you know, where is it all heading and how do we get there in time? And it's probably, um, you know, that's when you're looking at the tech, that's what you kind of have to look at because you're not just buying the tech for what it can do today. You're looking at what the tech can do for you down the track as well. A lot of the time, you know, I, I've implemented a few things myself, you know, referral program tech is one that spring, springs to mind where there's just always been this background kind of issue, you know, you, you know, referrals are always hard to track, blah, blah, blah. How do we do that better? So we try to whack something in um, and it just hasn't been the right kind of solution uh, because it was more a, I need to fix the problem that exists at the moment as opposed to long-term, you know, what's, what's a, a sustainable way uh, of handling this. Um, so from my point of view, you know, there are many things, yes, that, that are bubbling around in the background. Um, but how do you change it from something bubbling away to something to take action on really depends on where are you going? Where do you see the team? Uh, where do you see your function going? And, um, you know, a little bit about, you know, which section of the business is screaming uh, the most. Sometimes you do need to put in a stopgap solution, but at the same time, you've got to keep your bigger, longer term um, vision in mind. Okay. In, um... So let's say that that long-term vision is being established and it's in mind. How do you then build out the ROI in advance of making any purchase uh, for sort of HR tech? Yeah. So personally, I don't like the whole business case kind of, um, I, I'll say concept for the one of a better word, 
Um, and, and the reason why is because corporates these days are not really thinking about the long term. So the business case always therefore comes back to some sort of short to medium term gain, right? Um, and in this environment, it is probably going to do with, you know, some sort of efficiency in inverted commas. Um, now, uh, I, I think, you know, the way I always look at it is I look at it compared to infrastructure, something like the Harbour Bridge, right? What was the business case for the Harbour Bridge? Um, was there one? I don't know. Maybe there, there may have been one, but I'm, I guarantee that it probably wouldn't stack up, um, right? And same for you know trams, trains, high-speed rail to Melbourne, for example. You know um, those kind of nation-building projects, as, a, as we call them, NBN is a great one. Um, you know they almost always never stack up. But at the end of the day, when you've got them, um, people tend to use it, right? So it's a bit of a balance there in my point of view. Um, today's business cases are all about short to medium term gains, what kind of efficiency am I gonna get? Um, but not necessarily thinking about, you know, what is the best thing to do for the function? Um, our previous head of HR, we, when we were embarked on automation, he pretty much said the same thing. He said, we're probably not going to make um, a lot of, you know, it's not, may not be a very clear business case, may not be like a, you know, goal kicking business case, but it's something that we just need to experiment with and we just need to get, you know, get some runs on the board. Um, and that was four years ago, mm. right? Um, and because we started so much earlier, we've got the capability now which makes more sense. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so what are your practical tips when you do evaluate potential HR tech? Um, so when we look at, at HR tech, it, it comes down to um, firstly understanding which problems you want to solve. That's, that's the most important one. Um, and very, being very clear on that um, because you know we have lots of different problems to solve. Um, but the tech isn't going to solve all of it. So which parts of those problems are you going to solve? And then from there, you look at how well does the tech solve those problems. Um, after that, you do have to keep in mind costs and, and you know, how you can balance that out. Um, so even though I just said that business cases are a waste of time, at the same time, they're very useful because it forces you to go through a process and it forces you to properly understand what you're going to get um for your money plus you know your bosses will want to see some sort of roi type calculation um, um so those are probably the, the two top things uh that i would think about um and then after that it comes down to the the practical elements of it um how it, it comes down to the team you know how easy it is for the team to use um Yes, there's going to be, you know, some grumbling about change, um, but, you know, you can't make progress without change. So um, at the end of the day, if it's easier for them to use, then they might, you know, might not like the interface, for example, um, or how it looks, but when they find actually it's faster and easier compared to what I was doing before, 
then they won't mind so much that it's ugly. Actually, they still mind it's ugly, but you know, it's that's something you have to work on with the vendor afterwards or during the process. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, that's awesome. Um, the the next round of actually of questions I've actually called the loaded question round, which is you know very um, imaginative uh, title for it. Um, but these are from the conversations I have, the common reasons that's holding a TA function back from moving towards total talent acquisition entirely. So um, I thought you made some really interesting comments. You touched on mobility, of course, but the statement of works moving from procurement over to HR and TA, they're, they're not easy things that you do overnight. So I, I totally understand that. So, okay, so loaded question number one, uh, I don't have time and or resources to implement a total talent acquisition strategy. Um, what would you say to that? Uh, I would say, Firstly, probably, you know, it is long-term what you need to focus on. Um, and after that, what are the other problems that you feel um, are, you know, more pressing? Um, and then in analysis of, of, of those problems, are they actually more pressing? You know, what's urgent and important versus what's urgent and unimportant? Uh, and you figure that out. Focus on the urgent, um, focus on the important ones, not always the urgent ones. Get one of your team to focus on, you know, some of the other fires. Um, if you have that luxury of having a team, um, or call in some people who can help you to do that. Yeah, awesome. Um, you touched on my next question a little bit, but I'm going to get you to expand a bit further on it. Um, so the question is, uh, I am concerned about the change management piece. Mm. Um, you probably don't want to ask my teammates what I thought about change management, but, um, uh, I always take the example of Facebook, uh, you know, and, and I can use a real example because Facebook just changed the interface, um, uh, a couple of months ago. I hate it. It's useless. Um, everything's really big. It treats me like I'm blind. I mean, I am blind. I have really thick glasses, but still, um, it doesn't need to be that big. Um, but at the same time, Hey. I'm using the platform still, right? And I'm kind of used to it. Give me another few months, I'll forget what the old one looked like. Um, I find it's interesting that we, we can make these changes so quickly in our personal kind of out of work experience with tech, but when it comes to in work experience with tech uh, and process, we're very, very much um, enamored with the old, old one. Uh, so my, my view of change management is, yes, I think you do need to communicate extremely well. You need to communicate very often. Um, honestly, it's not something that I'm best at, which is why I normally get someone else you know, to do that part for me. Um, but that's just because my style, I just pick up the stuff and I run, right? I'm not someone who needs like, the handholding, so I just don't understand um, from that point of view. So I get someone who does understand and get them to do it for me. Um, yeah, so um, the change management, communicate a lot, but at the end of the day, you know, change is always there, um, and it's time people got used to it. That's yeah. kind of the blunt answer. That's all right. I'm with you. All right. Um, final four one. Um, so I'm not sure um, if total talent acquisition is right for my specific uh, company or and or industry. Yeah, um, I think the first thing to, to think about there is 
um, get an understanding of the, the changes in the direction of the laws and the legislation because it's going to, it's probably going to affect every industry, right? So uh, whether you, whether you feel it's relevant or not, it will become relevant. So the first thing is get an understanding of where that's all headed and then understand how does that impact your organization. Uh, the second one is, you know, a very easy thing to look at is contractors and contractor tenure. Have a look at that because, you know, most organizations, large, if they're large enough, will have contractors who've been with them for 10 years or whatever. You know, they take direction from one of your managers. They use your workstations. They use your laptops. They're only paid by you. They're not actually a contractor. And then they're going to take you to court when they figure out they can make a lot of money from that process and retire. Um, so, it, you know, whether you like it or not, it is something that you've got to look out for. The other stuff around, you know, tempt to perm, um, uh, there's, a, there's a growing trend towards giving contractors perks and that kind of thing equivalent to employees. Like, I understand that from an engagement and a kind of brand point of view, but at the same time, that's a huge risk. That's, you know, you're basically treating your contractors like your perm staff, which then puts you in that first bucket and then puts you um, at risk of being, you know, taken to court. So you got to kind of like figure out those, what's the nice kind of like fluffy marketing line I want to have versus, hey, these guys are mercenaries <laughs> in the nicest possible way um, that, you know, you know, they're not employees, right? They're getting paid a premium. Why should I? And, and then you think from the internal point of view, hey, this guy is a contractor next to me. He's getting a thousand dollars a day because he's an IT contractor. I'm an IT perm worker. I'm getting the equivalent of $400 a day, but this guy's now getting my perks. Like, where is the equity in that? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so you have to like think about all of the different angles, not just what's the nice fluffy marketing angle I can chuck them to LinkedIn um, and get a, you know, a lot of interactions with. Um, uh, and the, the last bit, on, hey, this isn't right for my industry. Maybe it's not right for your industry. Um, and if, but you still got the other two that I just mentioned. Um, but just keep it in the back of your head, you know, because I think candidates are probably a little bit shaken at the moment, you know. Um, there, there may be a shift. I don't know whether it'd be a shift to perm or not. There's some talk saying that there's going to be a shift to a huge shift to um, um, gig working. There is. Yeah. Um, is that sustainable? Right? Yeah. Is that sustainable? None of us could predict the pandemic, though, right? So it's like yeah, that, that's right. Same bodies of research too, and for what it's worth, um, we have seen a spike in contractors and contingent and that side of things. It doesn't mean anything, though, to be honest. Yeah. It's such an unusual time. Some of the things I enjoyed about your answer there that I found very insightful was uh, risk, legal risk, compliance. 100%, I couldn't agree anymore. They come up all the time with mine on total talent acquisition. So mm -hmm. I think um, when I, when I, with the conversations I have, they come up and then the visibility. So that equity is so, so important. But actually the, having the total visibility, I think also enables the equity that you're absolutely right. And, and that is absolutely what 
um, companies aspire for. Um, yeah. It's easy to do. That's the challenge. But it is doable. We see many companies doing it. So they're, they're great answers. Um, Z, we're pretty much at time. I want to give you a chance, though. Um, you've got uh, Tempest School um, Consulting. You do advisory practice. You know I'm a fan of yours with, with the work you do. And we've collaborated Thank on the companies. Give you um, 30 seconds for a quick plug. Anything you want to say about the work you're doing? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a very bad plug, but I kind of say that I set up the company to help mates out, which is kind of true. Um, <laughs> it's kind of how it started. Someone said, hey, Z, I heard you're not in full-time employment anymore. Can you help me do something? I was like, okay, cool. That's basically the start of the company. Um, but really, you know, I think what we, tr we try to do is we, we, we try to look at um, improving the, the process, you know, improving the experience for internal and external people um, and just helping relieve some of the pressures that, you know, teams who don't have full-time TA ops people or even if they've only got one TA ops person who happens to be the bottleneck for everything, yeah. um, you know, we're there to help relieve that pressure uh, and you know, that's, that's kind of our bread and butter if you want to call it that. I'm with you and I think it's useful because uh, it's not uncommon. I'd say once a month, I'll get uh, an email from a head of TA pushing a conversation out. Um, we're trying to help them with streamline their technology. And they're like, I know it's ironic, but I'm so busy hiring. I haven't got time yeah. to talk yeah. it. And um, for all our listeners, where can they find you? What's your website? Yeah, sure. Our website is www.tempexcel.com.au, T-E-M-P-C-S-A-L. .com.au, um, hit me up on LinkedIn and run from there. Excellent. Good stuff. Z, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, I'll uh, speak with you soon. No worries. Thanks, Ben. It was great fun. See ya.